hello, 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 hello. Seven hellos there for no reason whatsoever. Welcome to the Talking City podcast. My name is Dan Murphy. Another hello goes to Mr. Simon Bukowski. Simon, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. I wondered where you were going with that intro, but fair play. It came to me right as I was just about to record. I was thinking of something. I had to crowbar in something somewhere. I thought that was the best way to go about it. Because, you know, Manchester, it's all blue. It's blue because City win and it's blue because United, well, we all know what happened and I'm sure we all enjoyed it very much, as did, I'm sure, every City fan enjoyed Saturday afternoon when the Blues defeated Newcastle 2-0. So you were there, it seems... Uh, you know, like City are kind of, as we were saying last week, getting kind of back to their clinical, comfortable winning best, even against a you know a side that are wounded after their defeat, but a good side, a side who did trouble them for parts of that second half. But in the end, City kind of got through a troubling period where maybe in uh, recent, well, maybe last month, they might not have come away with all three points. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that really um, it's I, I liked watching them on Saturday I thought they were good I enjoyed the performance um, it wasn't perfect and I mean Newcastle I don't think it, it sparks a kind of discussion in the press box about XG because um, you know does XG count when like Joe Linton completely misses the ball in front of goal or if Anthony Gordon hits the ball with his wrong foot like I've never known a side have like basically five glorious chances to score and end up with only two shots on target it was some going from Newcastle um but yeah they can come away very disappointed not to have made more of their chances but I thought City were very good and like you say around about the 60 minute mark it felt like Newcastle were coming back into the game um where in recent weeks we would have seen an equalizer and yet instead Pep put Bernardo on for Kevin De Bruyne and within two minutes of him coming on he'd scored the second goal and the game was was safe whereas it had looked you know in a bit of danger so yeah a very good win against a team that still has the best defensive record in the in the league and you know a team that was not in great form um, coming into this game but still needed plenty of quality to beat him yeah, it seems to me that City, I think we've talked about recently, like Guardiola, after like the Tottenham game, kind of bemoaned a bit of fight and desire. And you know, he talked about how Rico Lewis wasn't getting protected. And I feel like since then, there's been kind of a market improvement on the, the kind of the intangibles, the, the passion, inverted commas, the uh, the aggression, um, the fight. And, you know, we kind of literally physically saw that at points when there was a bit of a bust up with Grealish. And it seems like there is just that spark, that edge back to City, which they might have just lost in that lull, you know, like January where there was a bit of a lull, a couple of meek um, performances. They really seem to have just got that that dog back, that that fight that they were kind of missing, that Guardiola wanted to spur back into him. And it seems like he's done it. Yeah, it's now, you know, five wins and two draws from the last seven. And while, you know, the 1-1 the draw at Nottingham Forest can, you know, can't be dismissed because... It fits into that habit of City conceding from their first shot on target, which has happened kind of too often this season. But if you, you know, assess those seven games as a as a run, then um, the performance against Forest was very, very good. Probably one of the best. It was just one of those, you know, in another season, one of those off days. And in this seven games, it's an off an off result where where the performance has been good. And I think the performance in those seven games since they lost to 
to Spurs at the beginning of February has been very, very good. I mean, for me, it's just like having the life back in the team. Um, you know, like it, not everything came off and certainly for some players, um, plenty didn't come off for them, but it's the effort and the motivation and that kind of attitude where if something doesn't come off, then they're back in position and ready to start again rather than sort of squabbling with each other or looking a bit a bit frustrated at the situation. They seem to have rediscovered that kind of fight and just enjoyment of the game, I suppose. Is it a bit too basic to say it's been a bit of a back-to-basics job? Because obviously Bernardo hasn't played left-back now for a couple of games. I know in this run he has played there and there's been wins after that Forest game that you just mentioned. It's where he played and obviously he scored and then that's where their game, their goal come, came from as well. But it feels like even though they're still doing the kind of back three at times and pushing Walker up or Grealish on the left, etc. and so on, it does feel like with Ake, I think Ake's been so impressive um, this year, this year, it's probably like the unsung hero. I'd say he's been, I think, really dependable. I mean, I say that Guardiola said um, he couldn't play without him recently, couldn't he? And then dropped him to the bench, of course. Um, so and that, the enigma continues. But I thought he, um, at some points in that first half and uh, towards the second, he made some really crucial blocks, interceptions, and it seems like just having a bit more of a a defender in defence, no matter what the defence ends up being, if it's a three or a four, just feels like it's given City a bit more of a solid foundation for the the rest of the players to go and work the magic. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think as well, kind of, it's, it's just more players coming back into form, which again is like incredibly basic because it's like, well, they play well and they do well and they don't play well and they don't do well. But, you know, like Rodri was at his worst game in ages at that loss against Spurs and then since then has been really, really good. Um, Grealish has been really good throughout. Foden has picked up his level. Um, Bernardo has has picked up his, his level where he'd kind of slipped a bit and was struggling to get into the team. Um, obviously, the seven game coincides with Diaz coming back into the team who's been immense since he came back. Nathan Ake, as you say, very, very good. Um, so it, it does just kind of feel like players are finding their their rhythm again. Um, and, you know, those... Um, what's the word? Just those difficulties that um, didn't seem able to be ironed out for ages after the World Cup have finally seem to be sort of going away and this kind of city machine is is ticking again. Well, I think we kind of forget at times that the World Cup happened almost and Guardiola said many times before it happened like we don't really know how any players are going to react whether they'll be injured or tired, fatigue, etc. And it clearly was, uh, you know, only Grealish and Mares, and Mares didn't go to the World Cup, of course, only Grealish came back from the World Cup and was immediately pretty much back, you know, to his best, the best he's probably ever been at City. So I think it's reasonable to expect looking back now that like, oh they had a difficult month six weeks or so because they came back from an unprecedented break in the season it's maybe it'll take time to kind of get back into the rhythm especially when um, a few players like uh, Foden and uh, De Bruyne didn't exactly have the greatest World Cups anyway I know some had some had better than others the Spanish lads didn't do that well either did they so it's like we you know we said lows before the World Cup we don't know how it's going to be it could it could kind of be a disruptive influence and maybe we've kind of forgotten that to an extent of giving them some slack when that disruption has kind of bared fruit and now they seem to have kind of ironed those problems out, as you say. No, I think it's really true. I think it's it's almost like too easy to say, oh, well, the World Cup was an issue. Um, and I remember, you know, putting that to Guardiola a few 
weeks ago or maybe like five, six weeks ago. And he was like, no, no, can't be an excuse, can't be an excuse. Um, and he, he's kind of right that it can't be an excuse, but also, you know, you, you, you almost can't afford to it ignore it. It could be a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it's... It was a weird World Cup in terms of timing, but also, you know, with the the conditions and the heat, people were either, you know, playing in heat that the, they don't play in every week, or if they weren't playing, then they weren't training to the intensity that they'd train every day with the with the clubs. And then you've got in, like, you know, the, um, the tiredness and the fatigue of just, you know, a whole World Cup is mental and psychological and even, normally if you have a disappointing World Cup or your country has a disappointing World Cup you've kind of got the summer to to get over it a bit whereas here you're sort of thrown straight back into um, a, a, a title race and said right well you've got to be straight back on it um, and then also we're still at a weird time in the Premier League because kind of you know normally in March the Premier League is further on than than it is now so you've got that pressure of thinking oh we're in March we need to be at this point and we're not at this point but it's because you've had a, a six week break in the middle of it and you know there's still a third of the Premier League season to go um, so yeah it's it's understandable that that would affect players and you know whether it has affected some players more than others and you know I think City have been more affected than other teams um, because they sent so many players to the World Cup and so there's more unknowns from that but you know that like you say that can't be an excuse but it can be a reason for why some of the some of the form has been um, problematic and some of the players have taken so long to get get their mojo back really well, one player who certainly has got his mojo back over the last week or so is Phil Foden. Three games, four goals now. He kind of um, opened the scoring with uh, a, a bad week for Sven Botman, who once again had a ball deflecting off him into the net. But um, it was all Foden who made the goal, picking it up um, just outside the box and driving, well, past Dan Burns if he wasn't there, really. Almost like Hatton Benafra against Bolton a few years ago. A goal that was lauded, but was just... A horrific defending um, but Foden still did really well he kind of got the ball drove right at the heart of that Newcastle defence with real kind of um, aggressiveness and uh, well, you, know, you know that directness is the one I'm looking for straight in got a bit fortunate with the finish but he's kind of getting the look that his performances deserve of late because he's fought his way back in the team I don't think any of us expected him to be playing as much as he has done three starts now over the last week and He's, he's looking back to his best and it's great to see. Yeah, I think it was a bit critical of the Newcastle defence when he actually scored it. But you, you can't deny the talent that he has. And, it, and it, it, I can't remember if I said it on the podcast or not, but I, I wrote at Bristol City that, you know, yes, it was only Bristol City, but when he's in that mood, when he looks better than anyone else on the pitch, it kind of doesn't matter who he's playing against because he, he just turns it on and he beats players. And that is exactly exactly what he did for the goal he beat Dan Byrne and then uh, Bruno and Joel Linton both tried to get the ball off him and both kind of messed it up um, and it came back to his path and he turned it in off off Botman but there was no real no real time in that move that you ever thought no he's not in control of this even though there were times when when he wasn't he, he just has that <clears throat> um, feeling about him that he's going to make something happen and um, yeah, really good to see four goals in a week. Um, and, you know, another kind of 
important goal as well. I tend to find with uh, with Foden, he tends to score like the first or like he scores important goals. He doesn't just kind of tap in the fourth and fifth in a 5-0 win. Um, a lot of his goals tend to be early ones um, or ones that kind of change the scoreline and that is the sign of a, of a big player and, um, you know, huge encouragement for City to have this this Foden um sort of coming into the form that he is for the for the last two months of the season. And not to kind of toot my own horn, but months ago at this point I said they need to City needs to go back to the front three of Grealish, Haaland and Foden on the right. How did it look I think it was only the fifth time it's actually been played this season, but another win with it. How how did City kind of look as a forward unit, you know, with Haaland and Grealish as well as Foden? Yeah, they were very good. Um I think it's the sixth time actually, sorry to burst your bubble. But uh, five wins and impossible five wins and that one draw against Nottingham Forest. So very, very good. And Foden kind of got the headlines. He kind of tailed off in the second half a bit as the play kind of switched from him. But as he did, Grealish kind of stepped up and Grealish kind of got no headlines um, on Saturday, but had a really, really impressive game again um, on that left. Uh, kind of occupied Newcastle defenders all day and it just feels at the minute like when Grealish gets the ball it just kind of sticks to his feet like a magnet and you can't you can't get it off him um and then Haaland had you know one of his best games probably in terms of the teamwork um he you know he didn't score a very presentable chance that he should have done uh, with a header in in the first half but his you know he was combining with Foden in the first half his feet and he's, the speed of which he was doing things, he was like matching Foden. And it's quite something to see someone as tall as Haaland is doing that. Um, and then he got the he got the assist for the for the second goal and was delighted with that. And then uh, Grealish and Haaland, like we've seen them become a bit of a partnership, and they've got plenty of chat off the off the pitch. But it was um, it was very very funny to see them wasting time at the end of the game with um, the short corners when Grealish kept taking it to Haaland and Haaland kept booting it out for another corner off a Newcastle player. It was like Newcastle were like lining up almost all 11 players being like, right, I'm going to stop you. Anton deck double like there. Yeah, it, it was quite something to see and, and they they very much both enjoyed it. So yeah, plenty of promise in that in that front three. A shame for, for Riyad Mahrez. There was an Algerian journalist after the game who come all the way to see Mahrez play and uh, sort of said to Pep that he'd angered the people of Algeria by by not playing him. Um, and, and it's hard because, you know, Mahrez has done so much and has been in such form for like the last three months or so. But, um, you know, whoever is left out in on the wings um, can feel hard done to because they're all playing so well at the minute. Well, that, that's the good thing. You know? I think a few weeks ago it was the case of it, it had to be Grealish and Mahrez because they were the only two in form, even, you know. Bernardo couldn't really play there. He wasn't at his best. Foden, obviously, as we've touched on, was kind of out the team. But now it feels like any of them could play there. And that's it's the perfect timing for that to happen, given the, the run of fixtures that are coming and the importance of them. But can I just, can I just get one thing straight away? Are you telling me Harland can do more than just score? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry to shock wow. you. Um, people I think, on Twitter had me believing he was just a goal merchant, one that only scores 32 goals. I mean, what a what a shocking signing that is. He's uh, he's up to five assists for the for the season for City, so um, and five Premier League assists as well. So only De Bruyne has got more than him in the City squad. 
um, this season. So yeah, but but also his touch like was really really good. His touch was probably one of the best. It's it's been outside of the box. Um, it kind of let him down a few times in the box, which is just like the inverse of what we're what we used to be seeing. But you don't kind of worry about that because he scored so many goals. Um, but it's you know really encouraging again to see to see him developing and being more involved with the with the team as well. Uh, the one potential kind of um, dark cloud after the kind of the game was Foden was talking about a foot injury he's been dealing with. It seems like he kind of reagitated it against Newcastle. He's been managing it um, for a kind of few months now. Guardiola touched on last weekend how I thought actually Guardiola was quite interested in his press conference the other day, how he said like we ex- it's normal for Phil. He's, he's five years in the team. He's gotten better every single season. I think he was quite um he was quite really um honest about it, I thought, and quite uh how he's never slagged Foden off like he'd slag anyone off of course, but he's never like thrown him under the bus or criticised him for being poor. He's always defended him, even though he's not played him when he's not been at his best. But as he said in his press conference last week, this was like bound to happen. He's still only twenty two, he's young. Every year he's improved year on year, you're bound to hit lulls at some point. It's absolutely normal. And I thought the way he talked about that, really lengthy answer, I thought that was really um just great management and really great ex- explanation. But as, as you I think you touched on the piece that went out on uh, Sunday night, it, it's it's been a new season of completely new stuff for Foden, having to deal with um, for the first time in five years, not playing as much, not scoring as much, not being as good, not improving per se, and then managing this injury as well, which has been been quite tricky for him. It seems anyone who sees or hears him say, "Oh, I've I've suffered an injury again in this game," might be worried by that, and you know it it is a concern that he's still having to. Um, to, to manage this injury um but at the same time you know he he stopped to he stopped and spoke to to a couple of us um for for quite a while really after the game um and you know his answers were were really mature on his injury and you know speaking about having to uh go to pep and say look i need to rest you know this is a kid who Everyone says, you know, he just he'll have the ball at his feet for hours and hours and play far more than he's supposed to play. It's uh, quite brave, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, could, as we've seen, he, if he voluntarily kind of steps out of the team, as we've seen, he could quite easily not get back in all season if Mavis and Greenwich are playing so well, at least for the big game. So to for the good of his kind of conditioning and his career and his form, to say, listen, take me out, I need to be, it's, it's really brave, I think. Yeah, yeah. And somebody said to him, you know, would you have would you have gone and asked that two years ago? Um, and he sort of said, you know, the, the the damage that he did against United, he had to. So he thinks he would have done anyway. But it does seem like he's really taken a a mature approach and kind of the approach that he had to, really. Because, you know, from the sounds of it, these kind of things, if, if physios can't do anything for it and, you know, it comes and goes... Um, then you know if it really doesn't get sorted out, then you're kind of looking at surgery. So, so the best option is um, is is for him. He knows how it feels better than anyone. So he, he you just have to be guided by by him really. And you know, all right, he, sa- he says he um, he injured it against Newcastle, so he'll need a few days to to rest up. But City have got those few days for him to to rest up because they don't have a midweek game and you know I I don't think he'd have um been stopping speech to us after the game if 
he's suddenly out for four weeks or anything like that. So I, I wouldn't be too worried by by him saying that he he re-injured himself um, a bit against against Newcastle, but it, it does show kind of uh, yeah what what he has been having to manage um, this season and in the last few months alongside having to sort of fight for his his place in the team and and sort of refind his his form again. I think it's quite a nice direction of where football's going in general because like, you can imagine um, maybe even 10 years ago but certainly like 20 years ago you'd, players would have the kind of inclination they had that they have to play they have to play through the pain even if it goes on to kind of damage them not just for the careers but for the for the lives if they can hardly walk or play with the kids or whatever when, when they eventually retire because they've played on with so many injuries and really damaged the bodies you know that mentality of you have to fight through the pain blah blah I'm a big man I can do anything blah blah, blah. I think it's nice that Football's kind of, or at least in City's case, is kind of moving away from that and can look after the players. Because, you know, we talked about loads about with the World Cup, the amount of stupid games and the amount of fixtures that just keeps getting piled on and piled on. Welfare is important and players are kind of put through the grinder increasingly more throughout the year and, and no doubt will continue to do so. So it's nice that at least the clubs are kind of taking their welfare into consideration even if the kind of governing bodies don't really give um, a single shiny yes yeah and there will, there will be times when you know the players gamble or Guardiola gambles you know there were quite a few last season I think against Real Madrid in the Champions League and then Laporte ended up basically finishing the Premier League on one knee so he could get them over the line because everyone else was injured um, but clearly the time in recent months hasn't Required or has given Foden the time to be able to say, "Yeah, I just need a few, a few days off." Um, you know what it might mean going forward is that Foden doesn't play every game. If it still bothers him, you know, you maybe don't risk him three games a week. He may play, maybe plays two of the three games um, in a week, whereas without the the issue, he might play three. Um, but yeah, it it seems like a very sensible way to have gone about it and to be going about it. Absolutely. Well, we'll bring part one to a close there. We'll be back in just a second to touch on more of the Newcastle victory. Don't go anywhere. Hello, 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 hello. I'm only joking. We don't need to do that again, do we? Or do we? I don't know. Stick around for part three to find out. But say, um, you know, good result for City. You know, good win. Everyone playing well, except one man, and that is Kevin De Bruyne, who's looking a little bit down in the dumps at the minute. I mean, he's still capable of absolute brilliance, like he did against Bristol City, a sublime goal from 30-odd yards, as we touched on. And still has, what is it, 18 assists, 17 assists in all competitions, a, a ridiculous number. Still so integral to our City play. Still a world-class player, of course. But he's... Definitely not been playing that well in recent weeks. You gave him a kind of five rating in your ratings. He just doesn't seem... He's still capable of the big moments, but it seems like his general play is what's suffering a little bit. He's, you know, you know the run-of-the-mill passing, your bread and butters, your movement. Um, doesn't look quite as sharp as we've come to see. And I wonder if it maybe maybe he needs like the folding sort of treatment and getting brought out the side for a little bit, despite obviously how good he is. Yeah, I think there's been a sense this season, um, especially with Alvarez arriving, that City don't necessarily like need De Bruyne in the way that they 
have done previously. But then at the same time, the sense remains that City are always a better team with a fit and firing Kevin De Bruyne in the team um, than they are with anyone else. And, you know, I, yeah, he wasn't great on, on Saturday and a lot of the... Um, a lot of the decisions that he made were kind of poor and it, it's kind of the opposite of his usual self. Normally he's like playing balls that no one can see uh, coming, whereas here he just seems so telegraphed and uh, Newcastle could kind of cut out everything he tried because it was the the obvious or easy option. And um, yeah, his passing just wasn't there. I mean... I, I don't get too worried by it um, because I think kind of the effort was there and, you know, he was still tearing about the place trying to to uh, to get something going and th- there was a moment at Bristol City in the second half where uh, City was sort of having wave after wave of attack and the ball's going out for a throw-in and De Bruyne run- runs full pelt to keep the ball in play and stop it going out and, you know, runs so that he ends up like by the boards. Um, but... It, it, He's putting in that kind of effort where he's so committed to the team doing well. Um, I, I mean, it, it, he's he's almost like a squash player where he looks better where he's not doing that running and he's just kind of stood in the middle orchestrating everything and sending everyone this way and that. But he's not in great form. But like you say, a, a De Bruyne not in great form is still capable of things that most of the footballers aren't. So I, I think we will still see him play plenty of minutes um it, it, it's just yeah a case of him refinding his his best i think well, do you think it's a case of maybe he's trying a bit too hard like you say running about trying to make trying to maybe force things to happen and he's not quite letting it naturally happen like he's so good at maybe i don't know because it just feels like something's not so he still scores the goal, so it's, it's, it's kind of nitpicking. But he's, he's clearly not at the same level he has been. But he does have lulls. You, you have to remember he, he had the illness, didn't he, um, the other week that kept him out of the Leipzig game and then on the bench for the Bournemouth match. So maybe he's not quite at 100% fitness himself yet either and just needs a bit of time. But, um, you know, while everyone else is picking up their levels, it seems like De Bruyne is the only one who hasn't. Yeah, I think trying too hard is, is fair. It's kind of like, you know, for anyone who plays golf if you sort of hit a bad shot and then you sort of can get inside your head and think right I'm going to smash this next ball and then you you lose sight of everything you do and it's only when you kind of stop thinking about how to get it right that it just kind of happens and um, you're kind of back in that groove um, but I think it's it kind of helps him that everyone else is informed because it means that it, it's a better environment for him to to refine his best if everything around him is working um, properly than it would be if others were were struggling. And that was kind of the issue, you know, a month or six weeks ago when there were just too many players out of form. Um, whereas, yeah, now because the team as a whole and individuals within that team are, are playing better, um, I think it's less of an issue that that De Bruyne is, is having a few a few issues. It kind of strikes me quite similar to when Foden was probably at the kind of the, the, the nadir of his form when he started that Chelsea game and then he goes brought off and then kind of a minute later Grealish who he came on for and Mavis who came on at the same time both combined for the winner and as at St James's Park Bernardo came on for De Bruyne to kind of wrestle control back of the game and 
try to quell the Newcastle rebellion, so to speak. And then within two minutes, he did get the goal. I found that, you know, given both players seem to have like a similar lull, that they both kind of had this game where they go off and then suddenly City are suddenly better. The goal from Bernardo was great. And I wonder if, you know, he's been playing left back up front everywhere, here, there and everywhere. He's really been good. He started on the bench, but it feels like him and Gundogan and kind of Rodri, the the in-far midfielders at present, over the underburner. Yeah, I think so. But then you know, Bernardo and Gundogan can't play every game. That's the mm-hmm. the trade off. So so De Bruyne is always going to get minutes. And you know, in a similar way to Foden, um, I think you know it won't be long before we're sat here having a podcast talking about how the world class Kevin De Bruyne has inspired an important win um, or whatever because he's he's too good for. You know, I don't think we're seeing like the terminal decline of Kevin De Bruyne. I think he's just it in one of those spells that every player has, um, and you know he he will pick up because he's too good not to. Yeah, and and as we say, this spell that goal against Bristol City. How long ago was the Arsenal game? Now five matches was it? A goal and assist in that yeah. massive game where he could deliver the big moment. No doubt whatsoever, he will get back to his best. But hopefully it's sooner rather than later. And as I say, a word for Bernardo, he came in a lovely goal, kind of sweeping into the far corner. And he did bring that control in the middle, you know, Guardiola calls for so often. And they really needed it there against Newcastle. They were rallying, but St. Maximum was coming on, was causing a few few issues. Isaac as well, I believe. They were looking dangerous, Newcastle. And Bernardo's introduction, not only by the killing the game off with the goal, but just that just class in midfield that all, you know we talked about decision making there with De Bruyne Bernardo's a player who gets his decisions right 99 point times out of 10 yeah and they're very different players in that you know De Bruyne is fundamentally about risk taking and Bernardo is about control um, and he was very very good on Saturday at giving giving City control and, and again you know that is exactly what Guardiola wants as the Champions League comes round again and as the FA Cup moves into the later rounds being a knowing that he can have these players that he can turn to um, that he is sort of certain will deliver the job he wants them to um, you know just to touch briefly on um, Liverpool's 7-0 win uh over United, Ten Hag said afterwards that the players just didn't do their jobs. They didn't fulfil their jobs. Well, Guardiola at the minute kind of, um, you know, he, he could say it at the beginning of the season, but, you know, this is one of the best runs of the season and it's where the manager is confident or more confident than he has been that kind of the players that he puts out on the pitch will do exactly what he expects them to do. Yeah, absolutely. And one player who's certainly doing that, you touched on him earlier, is Ruben Diaz. As you say, seven matches since he came in the side, uh, no losses. There's been a couple of draws, of course, but I believe the only game City have actually lost this season in which Diaz played was the first of the season against Liverpool. The the defeats against United and Tottenham, he, well, yeah, he didn't play or maybe he came on in the last minute against one of the in one of the Tottenham games. I think that might have been the win. He has been such a transformative presence. I know we talked about him quite a bit on the podcast over the last week or so already, but you gave him a nine Man of the Match award. 
he's just been, as I say, there transformative. And, and I think we have to say he's maybe not the best defender, or certainly not the best on the ball in that position. But the leadership he brings, and that, as we said earlier, that fight, he's just kind of really embodying what Guardiola wants on the pitch. And I think I've made this comparison before as well. But you just see so much of uh, kind of Vincent Company in his aura on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, it's that it, it's changing mindsets and attitudes. And again, on Saturday. You know, there was a moment where um, Nathan Ake nearly got turned in the box and then kind of recovered and put it out for a corner and, and Diaz is straight over there celebrating with him. Um, and it's that kind of unity and celebrating good defending um, that really sort of is infectious across the team. Um, and, you know, if you've got a back four or five that are absolutely determined not to let a shot on goal um, or anything. That is um, where you, you know, get a really good defence from. Um, and I think Diaz has those characteristics um, that you have seen in, you know, the very, very best defenders in the Premier League over uh, over the years with the, you know, going back to um, Ferdinand and Vidic and um, Terry and Carvalho and, uh, the Arsenal Invincibles and those kind of it, it is that kind of level where where Diaz is both good within himself but also has this effect on his teammates where he can um, you know inspire and eke a bit more out of them and you know it hasn't necessarily transpired in performances in the sense that that uh, Saturday's game was the first um, clean sheet I think in both five games and five league games. Uh, but you can see the way it's been, it's been heading, and and it's also been a while since, like you know, City were undone by a stupid error, and you know, you, you can't say for definite, but Diaz's presence in the defence has certainly kind of changed um, the way you feel when you're watching the City defence. Absolutely, and hopefully um, that good run of form can continue. I did mention. Vincent Company there and I think it would be amiss of us not to mention that he will be returning to the Etihad Etihad later on this month with City um, drawing Burnley in the FA Cup Um, I spoke to a Burnley fan um, you know the day after the match uh, wasn't kind of drawn I think the sense in Burnley is that Vincent Company will be back in the City dugout on the blue side um, one day and Guardiola certainly echoed those thoughts in his, when he was asked about it in his press conference ahead of Newcastle. It's set to be a lovely occasion, I'd wager. Um, company will no doubt get an absolute hero's welcome to uh, the Etihad. Um, and yeah, it might not be his first... Well, he's certainly going to be back next season should he stay in charge of Burnley because they are almost certainly bound for the Premier League. But the, the reunion's ha- ha- happening sooner than we expected. And as I say, it might not be the only time. Yeah, Guardiola very, very complimentary about about company um and you know he has been about him as a person as a player but um his managerial um ability now really coming to the fore and, and you know what what Guardiola likes as well um well there's so much to like but you know the the boldness to have his principles and stick to his football but also the boldness to leave city when he did um because it would have been quite easy to carry on after winning the domestic um what four domestic trophies in a season and um 
you know, company was was an important part of that and could have carried on and City would have liked him to have to have stayed, but he said, No, I'm gonna leave and make my own way and start my managerial career and went to Anderlecht and did as much as possible um kind of not to be seen as Man City light and not to be seen as you know him bringing the Guardiola away he's he's tried to make it on his own and obviously he's influenced a lot by Manchester City and by Guardiola but he is bringing his own um he's putting his own stamp on on the teams that he manages and you know mixed success at Anderlecht um but he's done a far job, a far better job at Burnley than anyone could have could have predicted. Um, I think so. You know, he's absolutely deserved, and and as well, you know, gone quite far in um, in the cups as well. Did they play United in the League Cup? United not to mount, yeah. You know, he's 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 done really well, and if he continues like this, then he is absolutely going to be in the in the running to be a a city manager of the future. Absolutely. I don't think it can be underestimated just how good a job he has done. Um, this, of the squad that went down at Burnley last season, only eight um, senior players remained, I believe. Lost a lot of experience, lost Nick Pope, James Tarkowski, a lot of kind of big players for Burnley over the years. They've still got the old war horses in Jay Rodriguez, uh, Ashley Barnes and Jack Cork, and then a couple of others who stayed on. But otherwise, he's kind of completely, as I'm sure everyone's well aware, no one, you know, Guardiola used to describe going to Burnley as the dentist, even though they always beat him pretty much quite comfortably. Bit of a, you know, typical Guardiola praise there. But um, he's, you know, we know how the Burnley, what Burnley was under Dyche, and that's not to disparage them whatsoever, to stay in the Premier League on that budget for so long was an incredible achievement, and to get to Europe, of course. But they played a certain way, not exactly a, in a, way, a way that many people like to watch. Um, but for a company to kind of go in, completely revolutionise that, he's brought in, I think, 16 players and 13 of them are 23 or under. He's made it a young, vibrant, exciting squad. They've got wingers like Tellus and uh, Teller and Zahori and the other one whose name does escape me, who goal-scoring wingers who bang them in. I think they've got about 30 goals between three players like... And as you know, you try and say that you said there, and rightly so, that he's not trying to just copy Guardiola, but I was as I was talking to this Burnley fan that the inspiration is clear that the going to the back three out of possession and changing the shapes and pushing up with your full backs, and it's all honestly, yeah, honestly, it almost seems destined that he will be back at the Etihad one day. And you know, we've seen mixed success with that. You know, you, for every Zidane, there's a Lampard, for every um, Guardiola, no less, there is a Pirlo, but. It feels like company could could hopefully be more Guardiola than that one day. Fingers crossed there. Yeah, and I think, you know, he's done a really good job with gelling a new squad so well. But he's also done a really good job in the players that have remained, like Ashley Barnes, in getting them to play his type of football. Um, and, you know, that's not to brand them as, like, particularly limited to one style or... Um, or to even, you know, be too limiting of, of the football that Daesh played. But the um, it, it has been, you know, to company's credit that he's kept those players around. He's had a look at them, said, yep, you can work with me. And, you know, they're important for the for the experience. Um, and, you know, he, he as he did at Anderlecht, he's kind of recognised that, that City, that um, Burnley, sorry, kind of, couldn't do it all with just this young new squad you know you do need the experienced heads especially in the championship to get you 
get you through. So, um, like I say, there's there's an awful lot to like from from what he's done. Mm-hmm. And we'll certainly look forward to that match. But we'll bring part two to a close there. And in part three, we will look forward to this week's fixtures. Hello again, dear listeners. Welcome back to the Talking City podcast. And no, Si, it was an interesting week in the title race. City actually went first for um, the first time in quite some time than Arsenal. But Arsenal once again won in stunning circumstances, coming from 2-0 down or 2-1 down to beat Bournemouth in the last minute. It was 2-0 down, wasn't it? Reese Nelson banged in a brilliant goal in the 97th minute or something. It now means they've got three last-minute winners in their last eight games, if you're um, looking back to the Villa match and the United game as well. Now, obviously, that's really impressive, but I'm wondering, is it a sign, the classic sign of champions win when you're not doing well, etc., and so on? Or is it maybe a sign of that a slip-up is coming? Obviously, United are in great form, then we're by no means an easy opponent, but... Um, they had the uh, loss before that Villa game at City, and then uh, Everton was in there as well, weren't they? And then... To, to the Villa and Bournemouth, two games you'd expect them to win quite handily. I've saw City battered Bournemouth just last week. Is it more of a sign that maybe a slip-up is coming? I, I'm kind of t- quite torn on it. I think you could look at it either way and come away with your own conclusion. Well, that's the funny thing, in it? Like, if City win the title, then we'll point to these games and say, oh, we knew a slip was coming. But if Arsenal win, then it will be seen as, um, you know, as the the stirring comebacks that uh, that drove them to the title. I I know when um I think Arsenal had just equalised and um someone turned to me and said this could be their be their Southampton game. Um when, you know, Man City beat Southampton two one in uh late, late, late Raheem Sterling goal in twenty seventeen, eighteen and sparked those kind of wild scenes at the Etihad. You know, I've seen it described as the um, the best moment ever at the Emirates um, for Arsenal there, their 97th minute winner by, you know, people who've seen basically every game at the Emirates. So it's um, it's huge for Arsenal and a, a bit like the when they came back to beat Aston Villa, the, the win feels better for them having nearly lost it. Galvanising. Yeah, and, it, you know, it kind of me- means more when you, you know what you what you nearly threw away um but at the same time it's draining it's very draining to um to have those kind of emotions of nearly losing a game and then coming back and you know the euphoria will have been off the scale but you know it's still an emotion that needs um you know looking after and it it still takes it out of you um you know that that relief and celebration and can Arsenal keep that going for for another 12 games I thought they were very very impressive against Everton in in midweek um and uh, well I thought that, well they were more impressive against Everton than they were against Bournemouth and you're always going to play better in some games than than others but I think overall the response from them losing to City has been very very promising for them and we've spoken about how well City have done and how good City look, they're still five points behind, um, having gone pop at uh, at the Emirates. So, yeah, Arsenal, um, 
things looking looking very good for them, and, and City know that they're going to have that, that they are going to have to put a big run together if they are to um, to win. Because I think you know those comeback victories for Arsenal would show that they're not going to sort of collapse in the final ten games. Yeah, I think it's a great show. As you say, as like their mentality, I think. So I think that Villa game was just so crucial. If they had lost that, it would have made it three defeats in a row, wouldn't it? To lose, you know, to lose to Villa in that circumstances really would have been kind of heartbreaking for them. They kind of got through it. One in quite funny, as well as kind of galvanising. It was quite funny. Almost, I'm sure they'd see it as kind of karmic circumstances, given it was Martinez's, uh, you know, <laughs> mistake that led it to going in. So it's like it, it feels like the stars aligning, sort of stuff, doesn't it? That's the thing. But also, that would have been like, oh, Arsenal. They've been to Everton at home and they couldn't hack it and they've been to Villa under a bit of pressure and they couldn't hack it. Whereas I think, you know, losing at home to Bournemouth, you can more put down to just like, this is an absolute aberration. Um, But the fact that they didn't allow that to happen and then came back and won it in dramatic circumstances, um, you know, and and it's, it's that thing that like Liverpool had when they had their success where like, just as you think... Um, they're going to be stopped. Divock Origi pops up and and scores a goal. You know, at half time against Bournemouth or sixty minutes in, and you're thinking, well, the the two nil down. Jesus is injured. Trossard's gone off injured, and Ketty is injured. Who on earth is going to score the goal for them? And that might be the case um, in future games because those problems are are still there. I don't know how serious Trossard's injury is, but you know, if Nketiah and Jesus are out, then you don't have a recognised goal scorer. But if you can get Ben White and Reese Nelson to be scoring your goals, then, you know, that is the sort of thing that, that champions do. Yeah, that's it. It just feels like the unstoppable narrative. As you say, like that Liverpool game, Barcelona, Origi comes up and does the unthinkable. And then once you, it's like the winds of kind of uh, narrative and you just can't stop them. You just kind of feel it happening and City have a rare midweek off, whereas Arsenal actually don't for the first. I know they played Everton last week in the game in hand and got a good result, but the, it really does feel like the hard yards are starting for them now as they're back in Europa League action into a last 16 tie uh, with Sporting. They'll be away in Lisbon on Thursday before travelling to Fulham on Sunday. City play Palace themselves on Saturday before their own European action gets underway next week, but a rare. Red difference in the fixture list where City have the week off and Arsenal have to deal with after playing Everton as well. A kind of tough run of fixtures. It feels really like the hard yards are starting now for both teams. It's going to be interesting. I say Arsenal react to a lot of injuries there and a lot of games to come. If they, You'd imagine they might not focus that much on the Europa League, but it's a, it's a trophy there to be won and would be a good one, no doubt about it. So it's going to be, it's going to be a difficult week for Arteta. Yeah, and Sporting are really good, um, and you know their their stadium is not an easy place to to go. Um, I remember City went there last season and won five nil in the last sixteen first leg. The fans were still incredible. Like ninety three minutes in, it was um, it was really good. They've got a, a very good coach, and um, yeah, I think um, it's going to be tough for Arsenal. To, to go there and then to come back and and do something against Fulham because Fulham have been one of the surprise packages this season. They've done really well. Um, Fulham at home, uh, tough tough to beat. So it, it's, it doesn't get any easier. Um, I mean, Sellers Park is never a nice, a nice test for, um, for away teams. It's one of those grounds that can sort of 
just get under your skin and um, and sort of affect your performance a bit. But Crystal Palace are in such terrible form that City should really be going there and winning if they've got anything about them. Um, so it is similar to this last week in that City have City play first in the weekend and have to um, put the pressure on on Arsenal um, to to get a result and then. Yeah, you know, having five, six days off might help the likes of Foden be be fully fit where where they might not have been if they'd had a midweek game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's going to be interesting, the team Guardiola goes with against Palace. Obviously, he's got a rest um, this week, um, literally a full week before the next game, even down to the kickoff time. But um, on obviously after that, a big second leg against Leipzig, absolutely not a given that City go through. As Guardiola himself said multiple times, they're a really good and dangerous side. And... That's massive. City obviously want to win the Champions League. So could you could you see perhaps a few changes for Palace? I know the Premier League's massive too, of course. Um, but perhaps maybe kind of De Bruyne rested, as I sort of touched on earlier. A Rodri perhaps for Phillips. Maybe do you, do you see any any potential changes there, or is he just going to go hell for leather for both games? Because obviously both are very important. I think we're more likely to see say De Bruyne rested than than Rodri. I think Rodri will do you know the two games in four days and and they, they have the squad really to do the the two games in in four days I mean like you say Leipzig has to come into consideration um but at the same time I think you can pick um you know eight nine ten of your eleven to play to play in both um you know obviously a bonus for City that Stones is is back in the squad that Laporte's back after his illness so there might be you know, they might be able to have some sense about rotation that they've not been able to have for the last few weeks. And Rico Lewis can come into the team if if needed. But um, I think you will see two kind of similar 11s for those two games. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we'll bring this episode to a close before any more internet issues completely derail the recording. We can only apologise to our uh, beleaguered producers and have to chop this mess together but we hope you've enjoyed it very much and of course once again thank you for listening if you want to watch this in living colour and see my increasingly annoyed face at my internet dying uh, you can go over to YouTube at Manchester Evening News dash Man City and of course if you want all the latest expert opinion and uh, analysis of City's upcoming match against Crystal Palace and all the build up to it go over to Manchester Evening News forward slash Manchester City get us on Twitter at Man City MEN and Facebook Manchester Evening News dash Man City but until next week everyone when we talk about that Palace game it's goodbye for now thank you for listening and ta-ra 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 ta-ra